As we turn our attention to God's word for our sermon, I feel inclined to say thank you for the kind gift of a tent this week. I understand this tent just showed up miraculously this morning, um, but those of us who are up front do thank you for that. So I thought we'd go ahead and preach an hour-long sermon this morning, since I'm comfortable. No, I will attempt to be brief and to the point. Let me remind you that we've been considering the hymns of the church, and if you've been here every week, you're growing weary of that summary of me saying we're studying the hymns of the church. But for those of you who are just joining us, uh, I actually had a gentleman email me this week from Kansas City saying he stumbled upon our sermon and our worship service by accident. He was trying to find the Greenwood Presbyterian Church of Colorado. Uh, but he participated in our service, and he listened to our sermon, and, and he appreciated it. So for that person, I remind them or let them know that we're looking at the hymns of the church, and I'm trying to underscore that there is something that makes our hymns worth singing. And it's not the tune. As much as we love tunes, and as important as tunes are, that's not what we should really embrace about the hymn. It's the gospel truths which, it, which are in the hymn, they are what make it worth singing. They are what make it worth remembering. And so we're highlighting gospel truth. And this morning, it's really a sobering message as we consider the passage of Scripture and that Jesus is the great healer, which we will highlight this morning. But we'll be talking about deep wounds this morning. And our closing hymn is a hymn from William Cooper, which is about the healer and his ability to heal the deepest of wounds. And so it's, it's a serious subject. And wounds always are. Some of you who have had small children or you've been around small children, you have a memory like I do of them coming up to show you their Band-Aid. Right? Children are quick to say, look, I have a boo-boo. And they'll show you their Batman Band-Aid or their Superman Band-Aid, and they're proud of it. Look at my boo-boo. I got a boo-boo. I lived through something hard, and here's the proof of it. But what I found is that adults are not so much that way. We will hide our wounds, and I'm speaking of our spiritual wounds now. We're not so quick to speak of the hurt, the pain, whether we've been healed or not, we tend to be very reserved and not talk about those things. But our passage this morning shows us when the healer heals a wound, there's actually a beauty to it. And since we're all wounded, our speaking of our wounds and of the healer becomes very hope-giving to hurting people. And so with that as an introduction, let me read our passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 8. Familiar text to many of you, but let's hear it with new ears. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. 
When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. Let's pray together. Lord, would you open our ears? Would you soften our stubborn hearts to see and to know and to believe that the great healer has come? And however deep our wounds may be, he is able to say, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have three simple points for you again this week. And the first is this. The scriptures say that when the Messiah would come, when the promised Savior would finally come, we would know it because he would prove himself through healing. He would authenticate himself. He would prove himself. He would validate himself through demonstrations of power and through healing. Isaiah chapter 35 is but one place where we're told to expect that, where Isaiah says this, When the Messiah comes, is the context, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And the context there is just as it sounds. When the Messiah comes, all things are going to be made new. Crooked things are going to be made straight. Sick things are going to be made well. And you'll know that he has come. You'll know that the king has come and that his kingdom has arrived when he proves himself in this way. And so there was an expectation for this Messiah, but all the expectations were confused. So much so that when he came and in the New Testament demonstrated that power, there frequently was a response of unbelief. But there were those occasions of belief response to the power, the healing power, the demonstrations of miracles of Christ authenticating himself. That's what the four Gospels record for us, is this power that was promised and these healing episodes that validated who Jesus was to these original audiences, to these first hearers of the words of Jesus and his Gospel. So think of that, Old Testament promise, New Testament revelation. And that's what we've been given as the church. And we have it contained in a book, 66 books to be precise, to encourage us, to comfort us, to keep our thoughts on focus. And yet for most Christians, we hear a gospel story and we think, oh, well, we know that already. We've heard that. Or in our homes, our Bibles remain on their shelves or on their bedside tables because we've read that, we've heard that, we know that already. 
But those 66 books containing those promises that would come and the promises as they've been fulfilled, they are God's gift to you. That you may continually be refreshed and reminded of who he is. That the healer has come. He has proved himself. And he now invites you to put your faith in him that you may go in peace, that you may live in peace, quite literally. When the Messiah would come, he would prove himself through healing. Secondly, those that are desperate for that healing willingly risk personal cost, even if that cost is as simple as public embarrassment. Let me say that again. Those who are desperate for that healing that the healer brings, they are willing to take personal cost, even if it's just public embarrassment, to be near the healer and to know his healing. Earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter 5 of this same book, you may recall the story of the healing of the paralytic with his four friends. And that's that account where all the people have come out from various towns to hear the Messiah because there's evidence that he's healing, he's performing miracles, and there's this sense of, is this the one who was to come? And so many people gathered into a home to, to hear this Messiah for themselves, to see if this could be true. Had the healer really come? And you remember the four friends in Luke chapter 5 who were the friends of a paralyzed man who put him on a mat something like a stretcher, to get him into the presence of the healer, to get him in the presence of Jesus. And when they got to the home, the home was so crowded there was no room for a man on a stretcher. And so they found a way, if you remember the story, and they went around the, the building. They got on top of the roof, and the four friends, at great personal cost, to get their friend into the presence of the healer, they tore apart the roof. They unroofed the roof. They interrupted the rabbi and his teaching, which was a no-no. And they stuck their faces down in that hole. And they faced all the public embarrassment and ridicule that you could imagine. Who are these people interrupting our worship service, our time with the rabbi? Hey, I know that guy. And they destroyed personal property. To get into the presence of the healer, requires some personal cost, even if it is as small-seeming as public embarrassment. And so it is here in Luke chapter 8 with this woman. Very similarly, consider her cost of getting into the presence of the healer. She had what the scriptures say was an unhealed bleeding disorder that was 12 years running. Now I want you to think about that. She has a bleeding disorder. Uh, commenta commentaries pretty much in agreement that this is an internal feminine bleeding disorder that according to Luke or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 15 would make her unclean ceremonially, which would mean she would be isolated and ostracized for 12 years. It also means that anybody that she came in contact with would themselves be unclean. 
But she has heard that the healer has come into town. And somehow faith in her, desperation in her, concludes, I'm going to the healer. And never mind that I've been ostracized, never mind that I'm unclean, I'm going to get on a narrow road packed with people, and I'm getting close to it. And that's exactly what she did. She put herself in that environment, in the press, it's called, the press of people, and she reached out just to touch his garment by faith. And here, I can't explain this, I can't explain it to you, but Jesus says, somebody touched me. And obviously a lot of people were touching him because they were in the press of people. But he says, no, I felt power go out from me. Now, you can read various things that ask interesting questions like, did Jesus really not know who touched him? He's the son of God. He's omniscient. He knows all things, right? Right. But he knew that power went out of him. And he seems, in my best estimation, to be calling the woman out to demonstrate some personal cost, to identify with him, and to tell her story, even when it's publicly embarrassing. Because that's exactly what happens. She says she was afraid, she was trembling, but realizing there was no getting out of this, she came before Jesus, she fell to her knees, and she said everything out loud. She talked about her uncleanness. She talked about her bleeding disorder, as embarrassing as that would be. She talked about it. She named it. She made it known to the Lord and acknowledged that by faith, she was willing to do all that. That's how desperate she was for healing. And that was the faith in her heart that this man could do something about it. And obviously, he did. He healed her. My third point, as we work towards our hymn, is a different point for me. Uh, there's a question mark at the end of this point. It's not an exclamation point. It's not a period. It's a question mark. And here it is. In Luke chapter 7, the chapter before Luke 8, we're told that those who have been forgiven much love much. And that's a principle that we understand. Those who've been forgiven much love much. Well, I wonder if this might also be true. Perhaps those who have been healed of the deepest wounds run the fastest to Jesus and sing the loudest to him. Just principally thinking, if those who are forgiven much love much, perhaps those who have been healed of the deepest of wounds are the ones quickest to come to Jesus, to remain in Jesus, and to unashamedly sing of Jesus, to speak of Jesus. I think principally that's probably true. And the obvious application to ask about that is, how deep have you found your wounds to be? Do you just have superficial wounds? Just little flesh wounds, we might say? Just little band-aids here and there, nothing so wrong with me, right? Just a few nicks, 
a little bit of blood, but nothing serious. You know, that person probably isn't compelled to speak of Jesus very much or to sing that loudly of his worship. But the ones who acknowledge that their wounds cut deep to the soul, that they have profound need for a Savior, I suppose those are the ones who are quick to want to remain in Jesus, to be near him and his people, and they unashamedly speak of him and sing loudly of him, even if they're introverted even if they're embarrassed by their wounds, like this woman was. So in the way of application, I just want you to consider that. Has, has your relationship with Jesus been one where you've only acknowledged superficial wounds? I'm really not that bad of a guy. I kind of like me. I like me a lot. Is that the true story of your soul and your heart? Or can you say... I am crooked to the core of who I am. I am a rebellious sinner, and I need a merciful Savior, and I have found Him in the person and in the work of Jesus. i got to believe a church filled with people that are that honest, that sincere. That would be good news to a watching world who is experiencing their deep wounds. They may not understand or acknowledge them, but they know deep on the inside they are wounded. Ed Welch, who's written a number of books on depression, and they all have very helpful things in them. He has one quote that I want to share with you as we land in our hymn this morning. And it's this, regarding our feelings. He says, faith feels many different ways. It can be buoyant, happy. It can be depressed and lifeless, but feelings don't define our faith. Instead, faith is simply turning to the Lord. Let me say that again, or put it in my own words. He says, look, faith, it can be buoyant. It can be bubbly and happy and excited and everything's great, right? But faith can be depressed and live through a hard season and have some doubts. It can have some hard moments as we live through life in a broken world. But real faith is defined by the one who turns to Jesus when they're happy and when they're depressed. And there's great confidence in knowing that your faith is not defined by your feelings because our feelings fail us. They are up and they are down. And some of us are more up or more down than others, but that does not define our faith. Our hymn this morning, I hope you will appreciate. I want to say a couple of things about this so that we can really appreciate what we're going to hear. This hymn is written by William Cooper. Now, it looks like Cowper, but it's pronounced Cooper. He was born in 1731 in England, and he died in 1800. And a couple of things to understand the hymn that we're going to sing, and really all of his hymns. Uh, these are important truths about William Cooper. He was a deeply wounded man. Uh, the biography on his life that I read, I counted what I call five deep wounds in his life that shaped him or that misshaped him 
in his faith and in his life. And these are what they were. These are his five wounds. See if you identify with any of these or if you know people who do. First, his mother died when he was only six years old. Uh, when he was about 60 years old, he was given a portrait of his mother. And, of course, they didn't have pictures. He had a portrait. That's all he had. And when he saw this portrait as a nearly 60-year-old man, it broke him down emotionally. He realized that he had missed his mama all of his life. He had memories of her pressing a cookie in his hand or a, a, a plum in his hand and sending him off to school. Of, of her tucking him in at night, and he realized the loss of my mom at, when I was age six is a deep wound in my life. Secondly, the second wound is that that mother had given birth to seven children. Five of them died before adulthood. Two in infancy, three in childhood. Losing five siblings has got to be a deep wound a hurtful thing that shapes you or that misshapes you in this life. Thirdly, the third wound, after his mother died, his father didn't know what to do with him, so he sent him off to boarding school, which is a wound in and of itself in his relationship with his father. But at that boarding school, he was bullied. He speaks of the barbarities that a 15-year-old boy and that his hands reeked upon him. Now, he doesn't go into great explanation at all. He just says he was scared to look at that boy in the face because of the barbarities. I listened to a lecture by John Piper on the life of William Cooper this week. John Piper suggests, this is his suggestion, as he's read the biography of Cooper at length, he thinks that there was not just physical abuse of Cooper at the boarding school. He thinks that he was emotionally abused and probably sexually abused, homosexually abused by a young teenager. Deep wounds that have affected William Cooper. Fourthly, he fell in love with a girl named Theodora. She loved him, he loved her. They were engaged to be married, but her father opposed the marriage for two reasons. Number one, it's believed that the father saw in William Cooper his tendency towards depression, and he knew that his daughter Theodora shared a tendency towards depression. And he reasoned, for one, one of two reasons, they won't make a good couple for life. Don't think that this is a good idea. Number two, Theodora was William Cooper's cousin, which was a second reason to object to the marriage, but this was in the 1700s. Apparently things weren't necessarily so uncommon. Fifthly, the last of the deep wounds I'll highlight before we sing his hymn. I mentioned that he suffered with depression. And when I say that, I mean it in the full sense of the word. He did not just struggle a little. He struggled severely with what they called melancholy or paralyzing depression. William Cooper attempted suicide several times. 
He had several mental breakdowns and eventually was institutionalized. He was put in a mental hospital and treated for mental illness by a Christian doctor who would minister the gospel to him. And there he would come to faith in Christ. He had grown up around the church, but here he would put his faith in Christ and he would have a sense of his forgiveness of sin for the first time, that he was justified of his sins. But that didn't end his depression, and I want you to hear that. That wasn't the fix-all to everything immediately. He struggled with profound depression until the day that he died. And about every 10 years, almost every 10 years to a mark, he had a severe mental breakdown. Eventually, in God's kind providence, he befriended a pastor by the name of John Newton a hymn writer we've already considered. And John Newton invested heavily in him, uh, pastored him, loved him, was a listening ear to him. And in order to help William Cooper in his depression, it was John Newton who said, Cooper, you need to take your gift of writing and your gift of poetry, and you need to write praises to God. And together, let's write a hymn book. Let's put our hymns together, and that is what became the only hymnal. Um, Cooper had about 68 hymns, I think it was, that he contributed. Now, before we sing the hymn, one last comment about him as a hymn writer and his hymn that you'll hear in just a moment. And that is, because of his depression, he connects very well with deeply wounded, hurting people. His hymns tend to be very personal and unusually honest as he speaks of having a feeble faith, of having doubts, of having a trembling heart, of having deep personal wounds. He doesn't hide any of it. Almost like the, the woman who's willing, though trembling, to kneel before Jesus and tell her story, the hymns of William Cooper tell us his story. And some of you will connect very well with him because of that. Because he's so personal, he tends to be more devotional than he is sung in corporate worship. The church really hasn't known what to do with some of his hymns because they're so honest. So we're going to hear this hymn. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do something a little different today. Because this is a brand new hymn, and because it's been tweaked a little bit to make it personal to us, this is going to be what we call special music. This is a ministry to us in song. The words are printed to you in the, in the bulletin so that you can see them as they're sung to you. But because it would be awkward to end the service and not sing, after the singing of that hymn, we'll all stand and sing the doxology, and then we'll be sent out with a benediction. But let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that our feelings do not define our faith. But we thank you, Lord, that we can sing boldly of your goodness, of your grace, and your wonder to the deeply wounded. So, Lord, would you bless us in song, not just the hearing of it, but, Lord, the understanding of your compassionate care for the deeply wounded. We ask this, we pray it together. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> 